What does that mean? Ultimately, what that means for us is that people will actually know us, will know that we're followers of Christ if we love one another. And not only are we singing a song of worship to God, but we're declaring the fact that we need to be obedient to God by not only loving God, but by loving each other. And I think that's awesome. Um, today I'm going to be talking about missions. I'm going to be giving kind of a little message on missions. And as I've kind of thought about what it means to live a life on mission, um, a lot of different things have popped into my head. And I think one of the most prevalent things for me is to express to you and to wake you up to the fact I mean, one of the facts that was stated in our videos earlier is that one in eight Christians are still persecuted today. And I'm going to tell you this right now, and I want to come out here, and I want to be, I want to be clear with you guys that the greatest danger for you guys, for you and me, is not whether or not we're going to suffer harm from persecution We live in America. We live in California. I know so many solid churches around. The greatest danger for you and I is not that we're going to suffer harm from persecution. It's that our hearts will grow, will grow dull to the power of the gospel. It's that ultimately nothing will happen, nothing wells up in us when we talk about the Bible. Nothing wells up in us when we talk about Jesus, when we talk about the gospel, the gospel that we'll hear about tonight. That's the greatest danger. It's often been said that comfort is one of the greatest dangers to the Christian life. Why? Why is that the case? Well, because when you're comfortable, you have many distractions. And those distractions begin to dull your senses to the truth of what God has for us. And that's what Jesus says. Many times, seeds will get planted in good soil and as the, as, as the plant grows, the worries of this life, the weeds of this life begin to choke the plant out. Why? Why does that happen? Oftentimes it's because we're surrounded by everything we need. And therefore, what is the response of us? Well, we don't need Christ. We don't need God because we already have everything we need. China is often, well it is, the fastest growing population of Christians in the world. It has the fastest growing population of Christians in the world. And yet, at the same time, it's one of the most persecuted places in the world. How is that the case? That Christianity is just exploding in a place like China where there's such great persecution and danger and harm done to Christians. Yet, when we go into our schools and we talk about Christianity... We're afraid that people will make fun of us, and therefore we actually don't do it. And so today I want to talk about missions, and I want to kind of get more into kind of what, what it means to live a life on mission, and what does it mean to actually be a missionary, that there are such things as, as missionaries, and not everybody is a missionary, yet we're all called to be on mission. And so I'm going to talk about some of those things, but before I do, I want to, guys, I want to point you guys' um, attention to a video that we made um, with one of our missionaries that we're sponsoring this year. His name is Jit, and he is from South Africa, and he has a ministry called Jam, and he is doing this work of, the, of, of an evangelist. He is spreading the gospel 
um, and he is raising disciples. So why don't you guys check out this video? Awesome. It's been such a it's such, it's been such a cool experience working with Jit and just kind of creating that video, getting to hear what he's doing over in South Africa, um, and kind of if you guys weren't able to kind of understand what he's doing, essentially what Jam Ministries is all about is equipping believers to go and do the work of evangelists. And so what they are doing is they're creating a discipleship school, uh, a leadership school to help train young leaders in the area, young believers, part of different churches in the area to go and reach their communities. Um, and you saw just there, just a little update video. They, they, as you heard, Jit uh, found his calling and actually recognized that he was going to become a missionary here at Hume Lake Christian Camps. And so Hume Lake holds a special place in his heart. Um, and as he's speaking uh, in that video, you could hear him um, excited about what we're doing up here at Hume Lake, but also telling us kind of what they've got going on this next week. And they're going to be partnering with a couple different um, organizations to help reach skateboarders and surfers in the area for Christ. And so if you guys could be praying for them, um, even maybe just after this chapel in your, cha- in your cabin times, um, as, you're, as you're meeting together with your cabins and with your counselors, if you guys could just be praying for that for them as well as they kind of go and share the gospel with them. I'm so, so privileged and honored to work with them in a few moments Later on, we're going to take offering, and part of the offering will go to Jam Ministries, and some of it will also go to our other ministries um, that Hume Lake puts on in other countries, such as Papua New Guinea and Thailand. And so, really, really excited for that. Um, I'm going to pray for us before we get into today's message, and pray that God would just align our hearts and prepare our hearts to hear what, what He has to say because I believe he has something to say, and it's not me that's speaking. So let's pray together. Heavenly Father, God, I'm thankful for Hume Lake Christian Camps. God, the work that you're doing here, and Lord, ultimately, God, as we open your word, we know that it does not return void. And God, I pray that you prepare the hearts of these students and these counselors and even youth pastors God, understand what it means to actually truly live a life on mission. God, what it means to be a missionary as opposed to just a disciple. And Father, I ask that you would enlighten these students, but also for those that you're calling to missions abroad and to share the gospel with places that do not have access to it. God, I pray that you would challenge them and encourage them. And God, ultimately, you would give them clarity with which they can know what the next steps are. And so, God, we're thankful for this morning. God, we're thankful for your spirit. And we know that your spirit, God, speaks on our behalf. And so, God, I pray that now. And I ask for the students to understand more and more what it means to live for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I wanted to start this mission not by explaining what it means to be a missionary, And I didn't even want to start this message by explaining what it means to live a life on mission. I wanted to start this message by explaining who God is. And that is a God that sends. A God that sends. Throughout the Bible, you see God sending and commissioning people. 
You read the Old Testament, he sent and commissioned Moses to deliver his people. And then you read, you read on in the Old Testament, there's so many different people God sent to do his work, the prophets. God would speak to the prophets, and the prophets would then speak to the people of Israel. And then they would declare the things of God. And so one of the things we have to understand First and foremost, before we even get into what does it mean to be a missionary or to live a life on mission, is to know who God is, that God has a mission, and that God is constantly using broken people, constantly using fallen human beings to accomplish his mission. That's who he is. That's the type of God he is. That's the God of the Bible. You see it over and over and over again. If you guys have your Bibles, would you guys open up to Isaiah? Isaiah chapter 6, Isaiah chapter 6, famously, this verse has been such a powerful verse in the history of the church, but it's also been such a powerful verse for me to understand and to grow in my understanding of. It's, it's truly amazing. And you guys look at it in verse, or chapter 6, verse 1, here's what it says. If you guys are there, give me a yip yip. All right, let's do it. Chapter 6, Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1, here's what it says. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood seraphim. Each had six wings. With two, cover, with two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to the other and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is filled of his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. And I said, woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips. And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts, then one of the seraphim flew to me, having his hand with a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? Then I said, Here I am. Send me. And he said, go and say to his people, keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. The rest of this passage talks about what God wants Isaiah to say in this moment. But as you see, it gives us a clear vision of who God is. This amazing vision of God sitting on a throne, being surrounded by these angels, these creatures that sing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And I think it's such a powerful vision for us to see because oftentimes we forget that God is actually in heaven right now and he's seated on a throne and surrounding him are these creatures that are singing holy, holy, holy. Yet while we're down here on the earth, we're distracted by all these different things. We're distracted by our phones. We're distracted by what's going on in school. We're distracted by our friends. Yet, at the same time, the God that knows us and the God that wants us to know him is seated on a throne, 
clothed in glory and majesty. And none of us are asking the question, or at least most of us aren't, aren't asking the question, God, or telling, asking God to send us. Like Isaiah is in this passage. You can see in this passage that God is a God that sends. And he commissioned Isaiah to go and speak to his people. Isaiah was a prophet. Throughout the Bible, God sends different people, prophets, kings, commissions them. But there's one that's prophesied about in the Old Testament. There's one who's called the Messiah. And God sends this person. And there's so many different prophecies and, and scriptures in the Old Testament that talk about a coming king, a coming leader that is going to come to the earth and he's going to save Israel. And as we know, not only save Israel, but save the rest of the world. If you guys want to turn with me to Daniel 7. Daniel chapter 7. Daniel's right after the book of Ezekiel. You guys can give me a yip-yip when you're there. Sick. All right, Daniel chapter 7, here's what it says. Verse 13. And it says, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven there came one like the Son of Man. And he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. We see Daniel, this is hundreds of years before Jesus shows up on the scene. Hundreds of years before. Daniel is in exile with Israel and the nation of Babylon. And earlier, before this, there's different stories of, of Daniel and his friends and their faith and their devotion to God. But now, it, the, the book has transitioned to more of Daniel and his visions and his prophecies of a coming king. And so here we see that Daniel's explaining to the reader that there was going to come a king, and he's going to be like the son of man, and basically what that means, son of man, is, is human form. He's going to be like a man, a human, and he's going to come, and he's going to be presented before the ancient of days, presented before God himself, the God of heaven and earth, and the God of heaven and earth is going to give him dominion and a kingdom that cannot be shaken and so we see that, that God has commissioned this person. And his name is Jesus. And Jesus was sent by God. Jesus is God. And Jesus was sent by God as well. And he, he came to the earth. And many of you guys, you guys have been hearing this throughout the week. And even last night we were talking about who is Jesus, the life and teaching of Jesus and last night we were talking about the truth of sin, but before that we're talking about Jesus. And you guys have learned about his life and, and, the, and the miracles that he's done and, 
and why he came to this earth. And the reason Jesus came to this earth, we find it in John 3, he came to save, to seek and save the lost. But not only did he come to seek and save the lost, he came to be obedient. In Philippians 2.8, it says that, And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So Jesus came. Jesus was commissioned by God himself. Constantly throughout the book of John, John says, or Jesus says that I have been sent by my Father. I and the Father are one. I do the will of my Father. So Jesus, in a sense, has been commissioned by the Father to do the work of the Father. And so over and over again, Jesus says that in the book of John. And here, why is Jesus here? Well, he's here to seek and save the lost, but he's only able to do that if he's truly obedient, if he's perfect. And so as you guys know and have been learning, Jesus lives a perfect life. He doesn't sin, not even once. And not only does he live a perfect life, but he is sent to the cross to die for our sins. And not only is he sent to the cross to die for our sins, to be placed underneath the wrath of God that was meant for you and I, the wrath that we deserve, but he was raised to life. And oftentimes we forget this about the gospel. We forget that not only was Jesus raised to life to, to, to give us new life and to give us eternal life, Obviously, that's one of the main reasons Jesus came to this earth, and that is the main reason. He came to seek and save the lost. He came to give us eternal life. But Jesus not only did that, Jesus came to earth and did all these things, died, rose again to be crowned king. To be crowned king. Jesus is not just the savior of the world. Jesus is our king, and he is our Lord. And what does that mean for us? Oftentimes we live our lives as if God isn't our king. Oftentimes we live our lives like we're the king, like we're the queen. We decide what's right and wrong. We decide what to do with our lives. We decide what's right in the sight of our own eyes. And we fail to recognize that Jesus himself is seated at the right hand of the Father. Jesus is the king. If you guys want to turn to Matthew chapter 28, you'll see what I'm saying a little bit more. Here's what it says in, in verse 19. It's a famous verse. And oftentimes this verse gets coined as the missions verse. This, voice gets, this, this verse gets coined as the Great Commission. And oftentimes it's used to describe what it means to live a life on mission. But I want, you to, I want you guys to see what I'm saying here. In verse 19, it says, Go, therefore, and make this, or right, sorry, right before that, in verse 18, here's what it says. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. He says, in verse 18 again, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. This is after Jesus has risen from the dead. This is after Jesus has defeated the grave, after he died on the cross, and now 
He's alive, and he's presenting himself before the disciples, and the disciples are in amazement. And what does he say? All authority has been given to me. All authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. What does that sound like? Well, it sounds like Jesus has been deemed what? King. He's been given all authority. And as king, as commissioned by God as king, what does he declare? He declares, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. So throughout scripture, you see, in the book of Isaiah, you see God commissioning Isaiah to go and speak to his people. You see God himself sending and commissioning the Son of God to go and do the will of the Father, to go, to do miracles, to live a perfect life, but not only to do that, to save the world from their sin. And now, Jesus has been given authority to lead his people, his disciples. And what does he say? He says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded. You and I also have this command. We have been commanded as disciples. For anyone who is a disciple, we must therefore now go and make disciples. And oftentimes the question is, when Jesus dies and he raises again, why, why aren't we just zapped into heaven then? If the whole point was that God would give us eternal life, why aren't we up there right now singing and worshiping God in heaven? Well, the reason is right here. The reason we're still here is because God has given us a mission. God desires that all would be saved and all would come to repentance. And so we are living out that desire. We are therefore being obedient to that desire. And so oftentimes, like I said earlier, I mean, what happens in your heart when you hear that? When you hear the word of God, when he says, go therefore and make, all, make disciples, what happens in your heart? Are you indifferent? Do you not really care? Is this not really that, that big of a deal to you? Are you kind of just sitting here, yeah, I've heard this many, many times. I'm just going to live a good life. I'm going to be a good person, and that will be enough for people to recognize the gospel. And I'm telling you this right now. It's not enough. There's this, there's this famous phrase. Oftentimes people use it, and they say, um, I'm, I'm forgetting it. It's like, it goes like, when preaching the gospel, or preach the gospel, and when necessary, use words. That's what it is. Preach the gospel, and when necessary, use words. And that's oftentimes, it's coined by a lot of people, and so basically what it's saying is like, you don't need to actually use your words when preaching the gospel. All you need to do is actually just live a good Christian life, and people therefore will recognize the power of the gospel and give their lives to Jesus Christ. But you understand more often than not, and that's actually not what the Bible teaches, and more often than not, people don't come to Christ. There's many good people out there that aren't Christians, good people that live a virtuous life that oftentimes are, are even more virtuous than Christians are. And, and 
oftentimes people who actually think that aren't Christians, whether they be atheists or agnostics, they see that and they're like, well, Buddhists are good people. Muslims are good people. And yet they don't feel any need to actually surrender their lives to Jesus Christ. And so our burden is not just to live a good life, but to actually use our words. Romans 10, 17, clear example of this. It says, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. How will they hear unless we tell them they won't? It's a hypothetical question you ask later on in that passage. They won't hear unless we tell them. And so not only are we to live out this great commission by living a life that's, that's mirrored to Christ, we're to have both. And what I'm telling you isn't that you should just preach to everyone all the time and then not live a life that is full, filled with love and compassion and grace and truth. That's not what I'm saying. In fact, that will damage your testimony more and more. You need to have both. You need to live a life that mirrors Christ, but you also need to share the truth with unbelievers and people that do not know Jesus. And so oftentimes, and I want to say this because you guys are in one of the most unique stages of your life. And I really, truly mean this. And counselors and youth pastors will know what I'm saying when I say this. Because you guys, your sphere of influence is massive. The schools you guys go to, the different kinds of people you're around, the people that don't know Christ, that are sitting in your classrooms, and that are sitting with you at lunch, the amount of people and impact you can make is huge. That's why Hume Lake exists, believe it or not. We recognize and understand the impact that young people actually can have for the kingdom of God. And we want to challenge you. First, that you would come to the knowledge of the truth and that you guys would give your lives to Jesus Christ. And second, that you would go and live a life on mission for God. This isn't just for missionaries. This is for everybody every single person in this chapel. I want to point you guys to another thing in this chapter right here. Right down in verse 19, it says, before that, sorry, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. I'm going to ask you a question. Where do you make disciples? Where are disciples made? At church. At your local church. And secondly, right below that, it says, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Where does baptism take place? In your local church. And thirdly, it says, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you, and behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Where does Bible teaching take place? At your local church, right? And so you guys have to recognize that the reason that, that us as believers were actually meant to live on this planet, to spread the gospel, and we do that, if we actually want to be on mission for Christ, if we actually want to be on mission for God, we need to do what? We need to plug in to our local church. We need to. Churches through the, throughout the pandemic have been have been struggling. There's, it's been a struggle to get church attendance back, attendance back to where it was. 
And I want to challenge you guys with this. That's just the reality right now. And a lot of people, a lot of young people feel that they actually don't need to go to church to be spiritual. And that's just not true. Everything about this passage points to us needing the church. Because if without the church, we don't have a mission. Without the church, there's no reason for us to still be here. We should be in heaven right now. But because we've been given a mission, we are to actually plug into our churches. We're actually to live our lives aligned with the church to do the work that God wants us to do here in verse 28, or in chapter 28, verse 19. So I want to challenge you guys, if you get anything out of this message, at least for the first half, plug into your church. And oftentimes, we think that's boring, but the truth is, is it doesn't have to be. When you make the church your life, that's what it's supposed to be like. Yet we have all these other distractions. Like I said, China is the fastest growing population of Christians in the world, and their churches are exploding. And I have to imagine that, that, that the church is their life. That whatever the pastor comes up and starts preaching out of the word of God, they hold to those words so dearly because the challenges they face every single day. And yet we're here in America and we're distracted by all these things. And we'd rather not go to church and we sit in pews and we get bored and some of us fall asleep and some of us don't really even care what's being said. And I want us to wake up because one in eight Christians are still persecuted. And our greatest danger, like I said earlier, is not that we suffer persecution, but it's because we're in great danger of becoming dull to the truth of the Bible. So I guess the question remains, if, if we're all to live on mission, what does it mean to be a missionary? Aren't we all missionaries then? If we're all to live on mission, aren't we all missionaries? And the answer is no. We're not all missionaries. We're disciples making disciples, right? We're disciples on mission, but that doesn't necessarily make us a missionary. And I want to kind of let you guys know why that's the case. Ultimately, there's such a great disparity, right, between the amount of gospel-proclaiming churches here in, in, in California or in America and places like Papua New Guinea, in places like certain tribes in Africa, in places in, in, in majority world countries that don't actually have access to the gospel. And so the, the problem is, is if we say that everyone's a missionary, then truly nobody's a missionary. For those of you in this, in this room that maybe have kids and your, your, your kid cuts their leg open or something and has to get stitches, right? You wouldn't send them to your buddy who kind of knows a little bit about stitching, but not really. You'd send them to a professional. And in the same way, missionaries are trained professionals. They're trained to go cross cultures and cross languages and to share the gospel with those who actually don't have access and do not have equal access to the gospel and to the word of God. And as you see, that's what Jid is doing. He's raising up disciples to go and spread the gospel, raising up leaders and equipping believers to go. 
believers that already live in South Africa, that know the culture, that know the languages, that can then witness to those that don't know Christ. And so I want to encourage you guys, we're all called to live on mission wherever we are. We're called to share the gospel. But some of us, and I pray that some of us in this room heed the calling to go abroad, to share the gospel with those that don't know it. Like I said, Romans 10, 17 says, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. There are those that have not heard the gospel, and the question is, how will they be saved if they haven't heard? How will they know if somebody does not teach them? And the answer to that question is they won't. God has placed the burden upon his disciples to go and share the gospel with those that do not know it. Because apart from that, apart from the gospel, we have no hope. No hope of heaven. No hope of being saved. And so these people that don't know it don't have any hope either. So what are we to do? We're to go and make disciples of all nations. And I pray that's the reality for some of you guys, like I just said, that you guys, maybe some of you who are passionate about other cultures, that God would stir that passion and that you guys would get involved in your local church. And here's what I want you guys to do. Those of you who maybe feel a passion to go abroad and share the gospel with those in majority world countries, in countries that don't have access to the truth of scripture, I want you guys to do this. I want you guys to get plugged into your church first. Get plugged into your church. Talk to your youth pastor about your desire to go abroad. Talk to, to other pastors and elders at that church about your desire to go, go abroad. And if your church is missions-minded, which I pray that it is, missionally-minded and gospel-centered, they'll begin to kind of train you and raise you up and stir that fire within you and the church will send you out into those places. And I pray that that happens for some of you because we need it. There's such a great disparity and inequality to the, to the access people have in other countries to the gospel. And yet, in our own backyard, people say this is a mission field. Well, it's not the same, right? Because we've got plenty of churches, gospel-believing churches, where people can hear the gospel. It's just not the case in other countries. So I challenge you, if you have a passion for this, I pray and challenge you guys that you guys would take that offer and be obedient to scripture in doing that. Um, I'm going to pray for us real quick. And right after this prayer, we're going we're gonna to take an offering. Um, so let me just pray. Heavenly Father, God, I'm thankful for the fact that you have called us to live on mission. God, that you are a God that sends that you are a God that commissions, that constantly throughout the Bible and throughout all of history, you are sending people to go and do your will. And so God, I pray that the same would be of us, your disciples, that we would go and do your will and that we wouldn't be distracted. God, that, that, that we would recognize a danger in just being passive when it comes to the gospel 
and not truly understanding the depth and the power of it and the fact that it saves and it makes dead people alive. God, that you would empower us and inspire us through your word. And ultimately, God, I just pray for those that are called. And God, I use that word called carefully because I know that we don't need some sort of vision or some sort of dream to make us go and, and, and be a missionary abroad. But ultimately, God, we just need a passion for those that don't know you in other countries. And God, I pray for those that are called to that, Lord, that you would continue to stir up that passion. And God, as they, as they go back to their churches, that they would kind of discuss that passion with their youth pastors. They get plugged into their church, God, and ultimately they are commissioned by the church and sent out to spread the good news of the kingdom. So God, we're thankful thankful for your, your grace and your love and even using us. What a blessing that is. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen.